Well, good morning. I may uh, sound a little like Kermit the Frog this morning, so I apologize for that. Uh, I got a cold this week. I do not have the plague, so don't worry about that. But um, but it's good that you have a mask on if we talk. So, uh, uh, But anyway, it's, it's great to be with you guys this morning. I, I'm going to try to bring my volume down a little bit because the goal is voice make it till noon. So we'll see how that goes. And maybe I'll slow down, which will actually be an answer to prayer for I know many of you have been wanting me to slow down for years and so the Lord has made me sick in answer to your prayer. Thank you. Um, all right, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you know that in our study of the book of First Kings, we have come to the life and to the ministry of this great man, this great prophet whose name is Elijah. And we come today in the story of Elijah to the lowest point of his life. Like, no question, this is where he bottoms out. And he bottoms out on the backside of at least what is arguably the highest point in his life. I actually think the highest point in his life is still coming. And when we get there, I'll point it out. In fact, I won't even have to. Like, you'll just go, oh, my goodness, that's incredible, okay? But last week was pretty amazing. And so it's it's important for us to go back and go, what happened? Why was it amazing? What made it so high? Because here's what it did. It created a certain set of expectations in this man named Elijah's heart that, frankly, I think were incredibly reasonable. In other words, I'm going to lay the facts out for you, and we're going to get to the end, and I'm going to go, okay, so option one was this, option two was this. Do you see any other possible option based on these facts? Because I for sure don't. And yet that's not the way it goes. And it's shocking. (laughs) Catches you off guard. So last week, after three and a half years of drought that Almighty God brought upon his people, the nation of Israel, why? Because they had almost entirely followed their evil, awful king Ahab and his even more evil, awful wife Jezebel into the worship of this God that was no God at all named Baal. He was the God of the sky. He was the God of the rain. And so God sent Elijah to the king and said, oh, that's your God. Okay, let's just prove that's not the case. He doesn't even exist. And so I, God, through Elijah, am going to turn off the faucet of the skies. Like, it's not going to rain. There's not going to be a sun shower. There's not going to be any dude. Like there's not going to be any water to bring life from the earth. None. Zero until Elijah comes back and turns it back on. For three and a half years, Elijah's hiding out. God says, okay, time to go back. So Elijah goes back to King Ahab and it's fascinating. This is part of what creates these expectations in him. Elijah basically takes over as the king. Did you notice that last week? Like he just starts telling everybody what to do, including the king. He says to the king, hey, listen, we're going to turn the faucet on, but we're going to do it in kind of a unique way. So here's the deal. I need you, king. In fact, I don't need it. Here's what you're going to do next. You're going to call the whole nation to Mount Carmel, not to you, but to me. I'll be there. I want you there, and I want you to gather up all 450 prophets of Baal. Like, roll call them. I don't care if they've got a cold. Get them out of bed. All 450 accounted for, present, there, Mount Carmel. What does the king do? Everything he asks. They all show up. And then he tells everybody else what to do. He's like, oh, you've been following this god, Baal. He's the god of the sky. You might have noticed. I turned it off. I'm going to turn it back on here in a minute. It's going to be cool. You're going to like that. But... Before that happens, we're going to have a little contest between this God that doesn't exist and the only God that does. And it's going to go like this. He tells the 450 prophets of Baal, he's like, guys, you're going to make an altar. You're going to put wood on the altar. He's like, hey, we got two bulls. Which one do you like? They're like, uh, that one. He's like, great, take it. Prepare it for sacrifice. Put it on the altar. Don't light it on fire. Just call out to your God of the sky. 
and ask him to consume it with fire from heaven. And then when you fail, I'm going to do the same thing. So they build the altar and the wood and the bull and the whole deal. And for six hours, it says they limp around this altar, crying out to their God who is no God at all. And Elijah just mocks him. He's like, I don't know, like, like, does he need a new battery for his hearing aid? Like, is he on vacation? Is he in the bathroom? Like, that's actually one of the things he said. I love that about this story. He's reading his email. Like, what is he doing? Like, what's wrong with your God? After six hours, he's like, can we agree this is not going to happen? They're like, oh, yes. You know, they just go and sit down. He's like, okay. So he rebuilds the altar of God up there on Mount Carmel because it had been torn down by all these people. He puts wood on it. He prepares the other bowl, the one that they didn't want. He puts it on it. Then he builds a trench around it. That's awesome. And then he steps back and says to the people, hey, guys, I want you involved. Bring water like three times, so much water that it soaks everything and it fills the trench up. And then he cries out to God to answer with fire from heaven. And he does. Consumes the bowl, the wood, the stones, the earth, (laughs) the water, and everybody there hits the ground, like face down, all the people say, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And Elijah says, yes, he is. Now, he commands the people of God, these Israelite people, in front of the king, who, by the way, fed all the prophets of Baal at his dinner table every single night, all 450. And like, these are his buddies, okay? He's like, all right, so here's the deal. In front of the king, he says, I want you to gather up all those guys And I want you to take them down to the brook Kishon, which you can see from the summit of this mountain. You can trace it through the Jezreel Valley. I want you to take them down there. And I want you to show them what stubbornly clinging to, what refusing to let go of, what failing to repent of the worship of a dead God brings. They've brought death to this country, to this land, to you. And that's what it will bring to them. And they do it. It's remarkable. He is the man. He calls the king over like a little boy. Hey, come here for a minute. Hey, yeah, no, that's, that's good. Uh, here's the deal. It's going to rain now. Like, I'm going to pray that it's going to rain. I know it hasn't rained in three and a half years, and all of your prophets, it couldn't make it rain, and that's kind of part of the point. So anyway, I'm going to pray, and then it's going to rain, and I think that you might want to hit the road because it's going to be a deluge. Like, And then it's going to be muddy, and you're going to get stuck in the mud, and I want you to make it back <laughs> to tell your wife all about this because she's going to love this. This is fantastic. And he sends the king off home. He sends everybody else off home. He kneels, he prays seven times. And on the seventh time, his servant says, you know, I see a cloud. It's coming up off the Mediterranean. He said, there it is. And then he takes his robes and he ties them off at his thigh. And he runs to the capital city of Samaria ahead of the rain, okay? And he runs ahead of the rain thinking that when he gets there, everything is going to be different. And why would he not think that? Baal has been utterly humiliated and defeated and proven to be a dead nothing God. The prophets of Baal have been utterly humiliated and defeated and actually executed. Ahab and Jezebel have been utterly humiliated and defeated. I mean, they're the ones who brought all this death upon the country. All the people have said, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, like on their face twice, you know, in case you missed it the first time, like the Lord, he is God. Elijah has been given the orders all day. Oh, the rain that they've all been waiting for for three and a half years has now come. 
So what's he expecting when he runs into town? He's expecting clearly that Ahab and Jezebel are either going to repent and go, oh my goodness, we really missed it. Like, Elijah, help us. You know, first of all, spare us. But like, after that, help us. What can we do to turn this thing around? Like, we have totally misled the entire nation into the worship of this God that is obviously not a God at all. We've brought all of this death, and we'd like to save our lives, and we'd like to save our jobs, and we'd... Or the people are going to go, hey, man, those two are really the problem. Like, they're the ones who imported the God. They're the ones who brought in all the prophets. They're the ones who put up with this nonsense for three and a half years. They're the ones who have killed all our crops and maybe even all of our animals at this point, maybe even some of our people. Like, people are dying. We've been dying because of these guys and their crummy leadership. They're either going to be deposed and set free or deposed and executed, just like all the prophets of Baal were. Those, I think, are the options. And I can't think of another option. But apparently there is one. He comes running into town and he's just, he's just sky high, man. Finally, national revival. Change in leadership. Like, here we go. (laughs) Or not. It says in chapter 19, verse 1, that once Ahab got back to the capital city, he told Jezebel, there's his wife, all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. And then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, oh man, we've really blown it. I can't believe that we did this. We were so foolish in leading everybody into all of this. I feel so bad about this. Can you lead us through a season of national repentance? Can you help us figure out a way to save our lives and jobs? What do you think we need to do next? I mean, you've been giving orders all day and calling down fire from heaven. So we're thinking maybe you're somebody, you know, worth consulting on all of this. Like, no. She sends the messenger. Here's the message. So may the gods. So... She's still a pagan. Do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them, meaning as the life of one of these prophet friends of mine that you ordered the execution of by this time tomorrow. In other words, Elijah, 24 hours. Okay, within the next 24 hours, you're a dead man. So what does Elijah do? Does he say, oh, really? I'm a dead man? I just called down fire from heaven. I can do that on Mount Carmel or I can do that on your palace. So let's just do that. Is that what he does? Does he go out into the streets of the capital city and go, hey, guys, I've been giving the orders all day. Okay, I have another order. I want you to go into the palace. I want you to take the king. I want you to take the queen, bring them out to the brick Kishon. I want you to do the same thing to them that you did to the prophets of Baal. Go. No. Freaks out. He is shattered by this. Totally disheveled. Like, he runs for his life. It says that Elijah was afraid and he arose and he ran for his life and he he came to Beersheba. What does that even mean? Well, it's in Judah that says that, but like he's in the northern kingdom. He just starts heading south. He passes out of the northern kingdom into the southern kingdom. He just keeps going. He gets to Beersheba. That's the southernmost part of the southern kingdom. What does he do now? He just keeps going. says he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. He left his servant there, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. I've got a picture of a broom tree. So that is a broom tree. That's actually a nicely manicured broom tree. Normally, they're a little bit closer to the ground. But that country is the Judean wilderness. Okay, that is a place you only want to visit in an air-conditioned bus. 
with a lot of water and snacks. Like, it's beautiful in that sense. But if you're going to go hiking, you know, like, that's not where you want to go. He heads out into the middle of nowhere, just there, and he collapses under this tree in the shade. And notice how low he is. It says he asked God that he might die. That's low. He says, it is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. He's like, look, all these prophets who came before me, they couldn't turn these people around either. He's like, and even with fire from heaven, apparently neither can I. It's like, what's the point? I'm done. Okay, so here's the question that I've got. What brings him to that point? What so shatters him that he's like, he despairs of life? What is it? Because in a second, God's going to come to him and he's going to ask him a question. And it's the same question that he has for us through the same story. And the question is, what are you doing here, Elijah? The name Elijah means my God is Yahweh. So what he's saying is, what are you doing here if I am your God? What brings him here? It's obvious. He thought things were going to go this way. Things went this way. And he's angry. He's hurt. He's depressed. It's despairing. That's the point of identification with this story. Like, I mean, I can't really identify with calling down fire from heaven. I don't know how many of you have done that. If you have, don't even raise your hand. We don't know. We'd make us nervous. Like, but really, like, there are a lot of this story that you just go, I I don't know. I, I can't relate to that. I can relate to this. Like, if you're older than three, you've got a list of things that you thought were going to go this way, and they went this way. And sometimes it's a win. Because you thought it was going to stink, and then it turned out good. Sometimes it doesn't matter. Oh, I thought it was going to go this way, but, you know, it went this way. Sometimes it strikes to the core of who you are. You plan your whole life out. You got it all. You like your plans. You got it, and you're invested in your plans. Somebody significantly involved in your plan dies. You didn't see that coming. That wasn't part of your plan. And some of your plans died with them. Okay, that's not something that you're ambivalent about. You know, you're, you've got plans and you're invested in your plans and you like your plans and you've been pouring into your plans for decades and then your marriage ends and a bunch of your plans go with it. You know, that's not a fun thing. That's not, I'm not happy about that. Or maybe you're growing up and one of the two expectations that I think pretty much everyone has growing up is one, I'll meet somebody and I'll get married. Doesn't always happen and it's hurtful when it doesn't. Two, I'll have children. Doesn't always happen and it's hurtful when it doesn't. Or I'll get married and I'll have children and here's what my life is going to be like. And then you get married and you have children and this is what your life is actually like. It's different. Surprise, surprise. Business surprises. Career surprises. I thought it was going to go this way. It went this way. Health surprises. I thought for sure I was going to be healthy and I'm going to be honest with you. I hate surprises. I I don't like them at all. I don't think you like them either. At least not this kind. You know, I've got all these little mantras and they're kind of funny to my kids, but, but like just all these little statements, you know, do the next right thing. It's one of my statements. Just do the next right thing. What do you want? What am I supposed to do? Do the next right thing. Okay, well, let's work on that. What is that? You find what you're looking for. Like, it almost doesn't matter where you go to school in terms of what group you fall in with. Can we agree with that? I hear people go, oh, it's a party school. I don't want to go there. It's not a party school. I don't want to go there. You know, I'm kind of like, look, you're going to find both groups at any school you go to. 
So it's really kind of up to you. You're going to find what you're looking for. Look for the good. Why do I look for the good? Because the Bible comes to me and it tells me that I have a God who is good, that he designed all of these things. Hang on to that thought. And that he embeds good within it. What are you digging for? Are you digging for dirt or are you digging for gold? Anybody can find the dirt. Okay, my number one mantra, no surprises. I hate to be surprised by things. Particularly if I could have known six months ago and done something about this, and now I arrive and I'm like, what? You're just telling me this now? Like, it's not fun being surprised. Like, how many of you, like, walking down the hallway in your house, like, in your deep in thought, you know, and then, like, somebody jumps out of the closet and goes, ah, you know? And then for the next 30 minutes, you've got adrenaline coursing through your body, like... Rare is the person who goes, oh, that was fantastic. Thank you so much for doing that. Can you figure out a time to do that again next week? Like, please do this as much as you... One of my kids used to do this to me all the time. She's 21 now, hasn't done it in years. We'll get to that. But she did it like 10 times. I'd come home from a meeting at night. It's dark. She'd turn the lights off outside the house. I'm like, oh, I guess they forgot to turn the light off. With my phone, I'm trying to get my key in the lock. She jumps out from around the corner. Oh, you know, like... I'm up half the night after that. It's terrible. It's just torture. And I kept saying, honey, you know, I know that you're having fun with this, partly because I'm not having fun with this, but you've got to stop. You're killing me. I can't take it. I'm a nervous person by nature, and you're just preying on me. And she just kept going. And so finally, I just said, babe, here's the deal. You have a choice now. You can have three seconds of fun scaring me, or you can continue to drive and have fun with your friends and, and have a phone, okay? Because the next time you do this, you've chosen. I said, look me in the eye. I'm dead serious, okay? I've tried the nice route. It hasn't worked. So the next time you do this, you've chosen to be grounded for a month. That solved the problem. Hasn't happened since. Now that I've said it, she'll do it now. You know, she's 21. She still needs me. Still paying the bills. But here's the problem that you and I have. We can't do that with life. We can't go, hey, you know what? You've done this. Okay, I expected this, and you gave me this. And then I expected this, and you gave me... We've done this 10 times. I've been around this block. I am sick of this. And the next time you, I'm going to put you on, you know, ground you for a month. No phone, no. Doesn't work. But I think what we can do, and I think what this story is calling us to do, is remember that life has a name, and that his name is Jesus, and that his heart is good, that he's not capricious, that he's not, you know, trying to have fun with you, you know, he's not hanging out in the bushes to jump out to scare you and calling all the angels in and go, watch this, you're going to love the look on his face when this happens, you're going to be up half the night. That's not who he is, that he designs absolutely everything, including these surprises that are no surprise at all to him, but that are genuinely painful, disruptive and difficult. And if he does not design them, then they have no purpose. They have no meaning. There's nothing redemptive in them. Now he designs them all for us in light of his eternal purposes for us, purposes that extend beyond the grave. Thank goodness and that you can trust his heart, and that he's good. The Lord's coming after Elijah, but he's coming after you too. 
So notice how God handles this man. The first thing that he does is he causes him to sleep. I love that. Then he sends an angel who prepares him food, wakes him up and says, you're going to need this. Eat. And then he eats. And then he goes, go back to sleep. And then he sleeps. And then he wakes him up again and says, hey, more food, different recipe. Tell me which one you like better, right? But eat this, okay, because you're going to need this. What in the world is God doing in doing that? Miraculously providing food for him. He's going, hey, do you remember the three and a half years before your big moment of disappointment that crushed and shattered you? Do you remember how I miraculously provided food for you? You see how now I'm doing that here? What am I saying to you? I'm saying to you that I'm the same God now that I was before this event happened in your life, before you thought it was going to go this way, and then it went this way, and it's shattering. I get it. But but I'm here, and, and I'm the same. And so what does Elijah do? Because here's what he doesn't do. He doesn't go, oh, you're right. I totally blew it. What was I thinking? You are still the same God, and, and you must have a plan and purpose in all of this. And I do need to go back to you know the north where my ministry is and where you have plans and purposes for me and where I could be being used right now. He doesn't do any of that. In the strength of that food, he keeps going south. He leaves the broom tree. He goes all the way to Mount Sinai. That's not a short trip by foot. And it says in verse 9 that there he came to a cave. What is a cave? Just think about the architecture of a cave. What is, it's dark. It's lonely. It's cold. It's hard. He comes to a cave. It's a picture of him and his depression. And it says, and he lodged in it. He just moved in. He's like, you know what? I'm depressed, and I'm just going to live in it. And that's about all you have energy for when you're depressed. Isn't that true? Like some days you just want to give into it entirely and just lay down on the couch, eat potato chips, and you're just, that's it, I'm out. And if you've never experienced it, you don't understand it. I'm sorry. And it's frustrating. It is. It's frustrating for the person who doesn't understand it, and it's frustrating for the person who understands it all too well. Because you're just like, dude, get up and do something. You know, I mean, go out and exercise. Let me give you a plan by which to end. The last thing this person wants is a plan, honestly. They're like, why don't you just go take your plan and, you know. He moves into it. And God comes to him. He doesn't leave him alone there. And he doesn't come with a lecture, a plan. He comes with a question that's designed to draw out of his mouth what's in this man's heart. It says, and behold, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, and God said to him, and here it is, he says, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here if I am your God, as your name clearly implies? And Elijah said, okay, all right. You want to know the answer to that? I'm going to tell you, but don't ask me to be happy about this. He says, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, which, by the way, is a true statement. He says, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, also a true statement. Thrown down your altars. It's true he had to rebuild the one on Mount Carmel and killed your prophets with a sword, also true. And I, even I only, am left. All right, that's not true. But that is the way that depression works. The momentum of a few true things leads you to dangerously false conclusions. This is true. This is true. This is true. This this must also be true. No, actually, it doesn't add up. But it feels like it does. And when you're in the cave, you almost want it to. 
You want to put your arms around it like an old friend. He says, look, all these things, true, 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 not true. Nevertheless, here's what else is true. He's like, here's my reward. God, they, they seek to take my life. They, they seek my life to take it away. And so God says, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. What's the lesson in that? He's saying, Elijah, I'm still the God of the heavens. Just want to remind you of that. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind and earthquake, he's saying, look, I'm still the God of the earth. Just want you to remember that. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, that should ring some bells and whistles. He's like, I'm still the God who sends fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And then I love this. And it says, and after the fire, the sound of a low or gentle whisper. What do you have to do to hear a low or gentle whisper? You have to get close. He's saying, hey, buddy, come on in. I think the first thing you need is a hug. Like, I've got something, and I want to whisper this in your ear. So it's going to require you to come all the way in. Like, bring it in, and let me speak to you. It says that when Elijah heard that, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out, and he stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Like, what are you doing here if I am your God and Elijah again just said, oh man, apparently you missed my first recitation of this. So I'm going to just give it to you again verbatim. Like he's stubborn in this. He's angry at God, (laughs) right? You want to hear it again? Okay, fine. I've been very jealous for the Lord and the God of hosts and, and for the people of Israel forsaken your covenant and throw down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek to take my life. They, they seek my life to take it away. And frankly, I very reasonably expected this. And this is what I get instead. And God says, fine, then just stay in your cave. You like it there so much? Knock yourself out. Embrace it. Have at it. I'm out. Now. He says, bring it in. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fill you in on some things that you don't know. As the story continues, he says, look, here's my plan. Ahab and Jezebel, you, you want them out, right? That's what you're so worried about. You, I'm doing the same. They're out. Like, they're going, just not the way you thought they would. All right, all these people who have forsaken me, and I, there's judgment coming on them. Here's how. Oh, by the way, you're the only one left. You're not the only one left. There's 7,000 other people who have not once bowed the knee to Baal. But instead, just like you have been following me all this time, you're not alone, Elijah. That's the idea. He reminds Elijah of who he is, of what he's like, of the fact that he has a plan that Elijah can trust in even when he can't see the plan. There's the rub. And even when the plan takes a left turn, goes differently. It violates all his expectations. And then what does God do for us? He says, all right, you know what? I think that's a valuable lesson for my people across all the generations. Put that in the Bible so that on days like this, we can remember it. Because the truth of the matter is this story comes to us and it says, come out of your cave. I know, I know you're in there. I know you're in there. Come on out. And the reality is, you know, we don't want to stay in the cave. I mean, sometimes we feel like we do. 
but we'd like to get out. You know, you're like, how do I get out of the cave? (laughs) And I don't know that there's a simple one-size-fits-all answer to that, but I do think that the story is instructive. I mean, you look at how God, the great physician, deals with his depressed prophet, and how does he do that? Well, he starts physically, like he ministers to Elijah physically. This guy is exhausted. I mean, think about just the last couple of weeks, if not the last three and a half years this guy's just had. I mean, he called down fire from heaven for crying out loud. Like, that's sort of a good day and a big day at the office. You might have expended a little energy on all of that. He's burnt out. He's exhausted. He's this, he's that. God's like, take a nap. You know what? Wake up, eat some food. You know what? Take a nap. You know what? Wake up, eat some food. Which one did you like better? Okay. You know, like, there's something to that. See, the great physician understands that we are composite beings, that we're made up of parts, but that all the parts are interwoven. We're physical, we're emotional, we're spiritual, you know, like there are all these pieces of us and any one of these pieces out of whack can put us in the cave. Usually it's a combination. But like, you know, if Elijah was in his 50s, and I have no idea how old he was, I mean, maybe the Lord would have come to him and said, hey, dude, I don't know if you know this, but studies indicate that your testosterone levels start to tank in your 30s. You know what the you know what the symptoms of that are? Fatigue, loss of capacity for the enjoyment of life, blah blah blah. Need a prescription. Not kidding. We are chemical, we are hormonal. Maybe you just need a medical evaluation as a starting place. God ministers also to Elijah emotionally. You know again, he leaves everybody behind, even his servant. And he heads off into the wilderness alone by himself. God's like, no, 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 that's not good. (laughs) Not good for you to be alone. I'm not going to let you go out there by yourself. Look, solitude with God is one thing. Isolation is a completely other thing. And guys, I'm sorry to say this because this is going to like hit a few of you. Loneliness is a choice. God gives us his word. He gives us his spirit and he gives us his people. That is to say, he gives us a family. And we choose to be in community or not. And believe me, when you're in the cave, seeing people may not be the thing that's enjoyable to you. Like you might not be going, hey, I got energy for that. You know, like I, but you might need that. God oftentimes gives you a hug through one of his people who are filled with his spirit. You need a friend who listens, who doesn't lecture. That's a difference. Somebody who's not going to come and go, da, 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 you know, but who's going to come and, and draw you out. Hey, I got a question for you. What are you doing here? Like, help me understand. What's going on in here? Let's bring it out. Or maybe you need a counselor. I'll tell I have benefited greatly from that. So there you go. Every other week, I see a counselor, just like maintenance program. It's fantastic. Really helpful. Encourage it highly. If you go to our website, we've got a wellness page on the website. You can access it through the app. There are all kinds of different counselors and professional people there on there, and we put them there for your help. Perhaps you just need to humble yourself and go, yeah, you know what? I think this would be a good time for something like that. But then lastly, God ministers to Elijah spiritually. And look, he does the same thing for you. In the person of Jesus Christ, okay, God didn't just send you an angel to make you dinner. He sent you himself and he offers to you the bread of his body and the wine of his blood. My goodness, he is the rock like that mountain that endures the fiery judgment of God that we deserve. Why? So that being forgiven and being brought into his family as his children, we can know his embrace and hear his whisper. 
He can speak to us and give us his messages. And what is his message? Well, I mean, among other things, it's, it's look, I, I designed these things for you. And I, I know that maybe you and I need to go to counseling to kind of work that out on some level. Like there might need to be some understanding here. Like, I know that's painful and hard. But I do this for your good and for eternal purposes. I love you. I am the same God on this side as I, as I was on the other. You get the idea? I'm here. I, I'm not leaving you. I supply your every want and your every need. And I have a plan that you can trust in when you can't see it and even when it violates all your expectations. So what are you doing here if I'm your God? I close with this. Is God your God? That's a fair question. I mean, that's where it starts, right? Like I come to, into a relationship with God. I get him as my father when I surrender to his son. I give myself to him wholly. And I say, Lord, forgive me, heal me. <laughs> Take me in as a part of your family. Fill me with your spirit and repurpose me. If you have not made that decision, then after the service, some of us will be up here. I'll be up here. My wife will be up here. And we would love to talk with you about that, pray with you about that. Uh, just help you into that if that's something you want. If you're like, yeah, I just don't know, then Mason talked about Alpha. That's the perfect way to explore Christianity and to decide without pressure whether that's you. So again, Thursday night. Uh, but then if you have, I guess my question is, what's the next step or steps for you? So now what? You need to go to the doctor. You know, all the over 35 guys are like, oh, yeah, I didn't know that. <laughs> he described to me perfectly. It's okay. Maybe that's the next move for you. Maybe it's you need to dial up a friend. You have grown way too isolated, and you need to reconnect with somebody. And maybe you need to make an appointment with a counselor and, and go start that and do that for a season and see if that's helpful to you. you know, or maybe you need to do some repair work with the Lord where you come back and humble yourself before who he is and his good purposes and his kind intentions and let some things go and renew your relationship with him. Or maybe it's some version of all of the above. Here's what I can't do. I don't know which, what it is, but I suspect that you do. So let me pray for you and We'll close our worship time in a minute. Father, we come to you and we are so grateful that when we run, you follow. You leave the 99 to chase after the one and sometimes we're the one and maybe right now we're the one and we've wandered off and we're in a cave and we don't even want to be found, maybe not even by you. Yet you do not abandon us. You do not forsake us. You come and you chase after us, Lord. We are your children. And you do not abandon your kids. And we are so grateful. So find us where we're at this morning, Lord, and make the next step apparent. If, if there's anybody here who does not have faith in Jesus, then give them that faith. Humble them before you, Lord, and, and bring them into that relationship. And, and make clear to each of us today, okay, what's the next move? What's the first step out of the cave? We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.